Good morning and welcome to the Intelligence Espresso from the Security Distillery. Every week we aim to distill world affairs in the field of security and intelligence to a bite-sized and hopefully entertaining morning brief. Joined by my colleagues here in the capital city of Ireland, I am Meghla Jambholkar. On this week's episode, we will be discussing the increasingly familiar sight of Israeli security forces attacking worshippers in Al-Aqsa during this year's Ramadan. We will also address the visit of the Taiwanese president Tsai Ing-wen to the United States, which was dramatically mirrored by her predecessor Ma Ying-jeou's five-city tour of China. Then we will review Volodymyr Zelensky's first official visit to Warsaw, resulting in a pledge of the remaining fleet of the MiG-29 jets from their closest European partner. We will round it up by a discussion on the implication of Twitter's recommendation algorithm that has gone open source. This past Tuesday and Wednesday, Israeli riot police stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem one of Islam's holiest sites, beating worshippers with rifle butts and nightsticks and arresting hundreds of Palestinians as they prayed during the holy month of Ramadan. Some of the worshippers retaliated by shooting fireworks at the police force. According to Israeli police, they were seeking the arrest of several Palestinian extremists who had barricaded themselves in the mosque and began stockpiling improvised weapons, violating an agreement which disallowed anyone to stay there overnight. Palestinians claimed that they were simply sleeping and praying at the mosque in keeping with Ramadan traditions. Hours after the raid in Jerusalem, retaliatory rockets were fired by Hamas in Gaza and southern Lebanon at Israeli targets, which in turn led to a series of Israeli airstrikes directed at both locations. Tensions persisted following a pair of attacks Friday on civilians in the occupied West Bank and Tel Aviv, which left two British-Israeli settlers and an Italian tourist dead. The escalating violence, which kicked off just ahead of the Jewish Passover holiday, has drawn condemnation from neighboring Arab and Muslim countries and have been criticized by the U.S. and U.N. who call for a de-escalation of tensions. Concerns over this spurt of violence abound, as two years ago clashes at the mosque helped ignite an 11-day war in Gaza. The current Israeli government is the farthest right in the country's history and has adopted a nationalist political platform centered around Jewish supremacy, which has been criticized for escalating domestic tensions leading to violence. Israel claims it is responding to the rising attacks by Palestinian militants, but in the eyes of many Palestinians, the Al-Aqsa raid symbolizes Israel's growing expansion and intensifying occupation of predominantly Palestinian areas. Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen met with U.S. House Minority Leaders Kevin McCarthy on April 5th in California. After the meeting, two leaders held a joint press conference, during which Tsai expressed her gratitude for U.S. support of Taiwan and reaffirmed Taiwan's determination to maintain peace. McCarthy emphasized the need to strengthen arms sales to Taiwan and ensure that weapons arrive on schedule as well as increasing U.S.-Taiwan technological and trade cooperation. The meeting between Tsai and McCarthy sparked a bad leg from China, which firmly opposes and strongly condemned it and warned that it would take a resolute and powerful measure to safeguard nation's sovereignty and the territorial integrity. The meeting was held behind a closed door, attended by 18 partisan members of Congress. 
McCarthy emphasized that Beijing cannot interfere with where he goes or who he meets. This is the third time U.S. House Speaker has met with the Taiwanese president since the U.S. and Taiwan broke off the diplomatic tie in 1979, and the U.S. established relations with China. Apart from two recent meetings, the last time was April 1997, when the President Li Denghui met with the visiting delegation led by the Speaker Daniel Hesser. Following the meeting between Tsai and McCarthy, China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said that the U.S. was stubbornly allowed Tsai to transit through the U.S. and that the meeting was substantive connection between the U.S. and Taiwan. And it also reiterated that the Taiwan's issue was the first and the most important red light that cannot be crossed in the U.S.-China relation. President Xi Jinping was re-elected this year, and the transportation around Taiwan's strait has become busier. A large and long-term military exercise by the People's Liberation Army will affect neighboring countries such as Japan and South Korea, and even hinder Beijing's economy recovery. Therefore, large-scale military exercises around Taiwan's strait are unlikely. The lake could be moved elsewhere and or conducted in a large-scale, rapid, and short-term manner. On the other hand, the CCP is launching its charm offensive by inviting former Taiwan President Ma Ying-jeou to visit the mainland. Ma has embarked on an unprecedented five-city tour, ostensibly to pay respect to his ancestors' grave in central China. However, this is still a political journey. This is the first time since the establishment of People's Republic of China in 1949 that the former Taiwanese president has visited. When he arrived in Nanjing, Ma made a surprising speech with strong political overtone. The people on both sides of Taiwan's trade belongs to Chinese nations and are descendants of Yan Huang. Ma's strategy carried risk. According to reports, more than 60% of Taiwan residents describe themselves as a Taiwanese rather than Chinese. For decades, Washington has maintained the precarious balance of acknowledging but not openly supporting Beijing's one-China policy. The stance that there's only one Chinese government and the one on mainland. Since 1979, it has maintained formal relations with the government instead of Taiwan, but has continued to be a staunch ally of Taiwan, promising to assist in its self-defense. The alarming reality is that China now believes that the U.S. wants to change the status quo, which has allowed for 40 years of peace across the Taiwan Strait. Moving on, our next topic concerns Eastern Europe and Ukraine. Last week, on April 5th, President Volodymyr Zelensky and his wife Olena Zelenska were on their first official visit to Poland after the outbreak of the war in Ukraine. This meeting held great strategic and political importance for both countries, who want to reiterate their security and political cooperation. Zelensky met with President Andrzej Duda and Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki. They covered a wide range of topics varying from military and armament support to agricultural partnership between the two countries. Both presidents finished his official visit by holding a joint speech in front of Warsaw Royal Castle. Zelensky met with Polish citizens involved in helping Ukrainian refugees. Since the beginning of the war, 
Poland has welcomed about 1.5 million Ukrainian refugees, the largest number in Europe. Both presidents thanked the entire Polish nation for their welcoming and help towards Ukrainians. Zelensky also used this visit to reiterate his country's needs for military aid. In this area, the meeting has been very fruitful. Poland has been one of Ukraine's closest and most important ally in the fight against Russia's invasion, and already sent four MIG-29 fighter jets, of which the first one arrived on April 4th. After their conversation, President Duda declared Poland is in the process of handing over another four jets and is preparing six more for the future. The official visit was also an occasion to reflect on both countries' economic cooperation. The Polish-Ukrainian Economic Forum was held on the same day and was attended by hundreds of Polish entrepreneurs who discussed how to arrange economic relations with Ukraine today and in the future. Marcin Przedacz, the president of, his, of International's Policy Head, declared that this event is primarily organized because Poland believes Ukraine will win this war and it is crucial to think about the country's economic reconstruction. But Zelensky's visit come during a quite troubled moment in Polish domestic politics. Poland had been experiencing a lot of farmers' protests recently. Polish farmers demand to stop the unprecedented inflow of Ukrainian grains, which threatens their activity and economic safety. An important farmers' demonstration is currently held in Szczecin and is expected to last over a month. In response, Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki demanded the implementation of new measures limiting the amount of Ukrainian agricultural import entering the European Union. In a letter sent last week to European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, government heads from four other European countries bordering Ukraine co-signed the letter. Polish government took it a step further by dismissing the Agricultural Minister Henryk Kowalczyk on the days of Zelensky's official visit. Despite this resignation, farmers aren't planning to stop their protest, arguing that this resignation doesn't change the situation and still leave them in an economically difficult position. and previously I had spoken about the liability that social media platforms have for posting content that promotes terrorism as well as their methods for recommending such topics. Today, I will discuss Twitter's algorithm that has gone open source as the underlying code for the site's For You recommendations was published on GitHub last week. Elon Musk's reasons for doing this are presumably to dispel claims of shadow banning and to uncover the conspiracy that the recommendation system is biased and pushes a certain agenda. However, researchers have deemed this move as a red herring as there have been significant developments away from transparency. Just a few weeks ago, Twitter quietly announced that the free version of its API would be discontinued. 
This tool has been used for years to study topics like disinformation, public health, election monitoring, political behavior, and other such topics. But now researchers and developers would have to pay a hefty fee each month to access the tool that it is being replaced with. A brief analysis of the open source code reveals that this attempt at radical transparency does not in fact reveal too much. And the main reason is that not even a working majority of the code base was revealed. The company has offered limited insight into part of its selection process about how it chooses 1500 tweets from a pool of hundreds of millions to present to a user in the For You section. Now, the company's blog does not make it entirely clear as to why the figure 1500 was chosen or how frequently these tweets are refreshed. Twitter asserts that the home mixer algorithm, which it calls its core recommendation engine, pulls tweets from sources using a method called candidate sourcing, which evaluates them using a machine learning model and then filters them based on criteria like users you've blocked and whether the content is deemed inappropriate. However, there is no NLP embedding inside the main ranking algorithm, which means that Twitter ranks tweets without really knowing what's inside them. The input features list specific features are all primarily based on social signals rather than content signals. So what this means is that, for example, Aggregate counts of user interaction with other engagers of tweets that the user interacts with are heavily based on input actions like likes and replies, but only at an aggregate level. Weights are applied to the probability after the model estimates the likelihood of the actions. And it is likely that the tweet with the highest score will be displayed at the top of your stream. So the ranking parameters are each like gets 30 times the boost, each re retweet gets 20 times, and each reply gets only one time. Both images and videos get you a nice two times boost, but using external links get you marked as spam. And things like mutes, blocks, unfollows, spam reports, abuse reports, all of these things hurt your engagement. Two things that I found interesting were that the blue tick extends your reach. While this is seemingly obvious, this move has been criticized because Twitter has recklessly pulled down guardrails by downsizing teams dedicated to safety and internal accountability. And it has opened up its blue check verification system to anyone willing to pay a fee essentially removing the actual identity verifying part in the process. The other interesting insight is that anything that is categorized as misinformation is downranked. This also applies to tweets about Ukraine. The Ukraine crisis topic, which was discovered in Twitter's source code, was thought to be a signal for the algorithm to degrade tweets that discussed the invasion of Ukraine. Now, Twitter's API, which is being discontinued, would have actually allowed for transparency because researchers could have acquired tweets about the invasion of Ukraine and examined their engagement to ascertain whether the algorithm amplified or deamplified them. And this would have enabled the public to independently verify or deny 
the informational tidbits that the source code offers. But without them, we are dependent on Twitter's version of reality. According to a tweet by Elon Musk, Twitter intends to use feedback from the public to change its algorithm every 24 to 48 hours. But Cameroon Hickey, the director of Algorithmic Transparency Institute, commented that since they're constantly changing what the platform does, the recommendation algorithm is likely to quickly become out of date. However, even with all these significant limitations, the code is noteworthy merely by virtue of its existence, especially since there hasn't been a release like this from a large social media company ever before. That's it for this week's edition of the Intelligence Espresso from the Security Distillery. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and follow us on Instagram at the Security Distillery. On behalf of my colleagues here in Dublin, Juve, Fiora and Christopher, I am Mekhla Jambulkar and we'll see you next week.